Summit family, my name is Derek Delane. I am one of your pastors. I serve primarily at the Blue Ridge campus and I'm so excited to be able to be kicking off this brand new four-week series called Altered, Coming Face-to-Face with Jesus. We're going to be looking at encounters that Jesus had with individuals in Scripture. And what we will begin to see over the next couple of weeks is that in each of these, these encounters, Jesus still meets many of these individuals dealing with the same issues today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to the book of John. We're going to be looking specifically at John chapter 20, 24 through 29, and Jesus' encounter with one of his disciples, Thomas. And what's so interesting about Thomas is that he is one of the most well-known disciples of Jesus, even though very little is known about Thomas. He is mentioned uh, one time each in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, And however, most of what we know about Thomas comes from John's account. Now, if you've grown up in church, you know Thomas is what? Let's say it. Doubting Thomas. Yes, Doubting Thomas. Now, I chose this particular narrative because his story fits so many of us. And if that's true, we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like for a doubter to come face to face with Jesus? And then how does he alter the life of a doubter? Let me start off by saying doubt in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I could tell you that this sermon is going to be really good and really convicting, but many of you guys could look at me and say, you're not JD. I doubt it, right? I, I pastor a lot of NC State fans at the Blue Ridge campus, and from time to time they'll come up to me and be like, Pastor Derek, this is our year. And I look at them, I say, doubt it, right? <laughs> right? For any NBA fans in here, if I would have told you three weeks ago that that the Toronto Raptors would be up 3-1 on the reigning champion, the Golden State Warriors, you'd be like, nah, doubt it. Some of you guys are Toronto fans. Y'all wasn't expecting that either. (laughs) You know, your bathing suit looking at you right now saying, hey, man, vacation is right around the corner. We going to run or we going to run? And you look at it and you're like, doubt it, right? The beach going to give whatever body I give it, amen? (laughs) However... Sometimes some of those doubts are major, right? Some of you are hoping that this is the year our little one will come to faith in Jesus. But then you have that little voice in the back of your head that says, doubt it. You know, you you had hopes to be married by 35 and you look at your finger and see that it's still empty and it's yelling at you, doubt it. Maybe now this year will be the year where we're finally pregnant and that test comes back and it says, doubt it. You doubt that God could truly love you, let alone like you. You hear about the promises of God, but do they really apply to you on a personal level? And that voice comes back to say, doubt it. Some of you doubt that God is truly a good God because of the death and injustice that you see on the news. Some of you are here today under the sound of my voice, and you doubt whether there's a God at all. You see, the list goes on and on and on, and what it tells us is that doubt is no respecter of persons. We will all face this issue in our lives. However, what I want us to see is that when this season comes, or even right now in the midst of this season of doubt, how does Jesus step in and make himself real to us in our doubts? And when he does that, how do we stand firm in our season of doubting? Guys, as we walk through this today, I will try through the power of the Holy Spirit to make that clear. But we need the Holy Spirit's power in helping us do that. So with that being said, let me pray. Father, we need you. God, we so desperately need you. I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open up eyes and hearts to to hear and to see and to believe what thus says the Lord. God, I pray right now that you would fully increase, God, and I pray that Derek will decrease. 
God, speak through me. Speak to your people. I pray that lives would be changed today for the better, that they would be altered because they've come face to face with Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I can set the scene up for you here, Jesus has just died on the cross for the sins of the world, including mine and, and yours. And, and he did that because he, he lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die, but he didn't stay dead. He, he rose from the grave showing that he was victorious over death, over sin, and showing that he can also step into our seasons of doubt. And so Jesus is, is, is alive and well, and he's showing up to different people, popping up on the scene. He goes up to Mary Magdalene, says what's up, right? He goes to the disciples and he sees them. But then we see that Thomas is not with them the first time that Jesus comes. And that's where we'll pick up in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You see, for those of you who are in small group, this is why you never miss out on small group. Because Jesus could show up for whatever reason and you decided not to come, you miss out on Jesus, right? Let that be a lesson to you right here, right? Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord because we don't miss small group. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guys, before we answer the question of what does it look like for a doubter to come face to face with Jesus... I think it's best for us to make a couple observations about doubt from this particular narrative. And what we're going to do, we're just going to look at the text and, and walk straight down and make these observations, okay? So the very first observation that we see is that doubt can happen to anyone. Now, I already mentioned this, but to bring some clarity to it, no other gospel really mentions Thomas as much as the book of John. And what I find so interesting about this fact is we see this particular interaction with Thomas the, that shows his doubt. But all the other interactions that we see with Thomas is, is completely opposite. You see, like many other disciples, Thomas was willing to leave everything for Jesus. And in fact, we see in John 11 that he was willing to live and die for Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but in John 11:16 it says, So Thomas, called the twin, same guy, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas made this statement because Jesus decides to go to Bethany to help his friend Lazarus, who we know will eventually go on to die, and he goes to raise him from the dead. The disciples were saying, hey, Jesus, if you go to Bethany, you got to remember the last time you were there, the town wanted to kill you, right? And Lazarus makes this statement, or excuse me, uh, Thomas makes this statement, well, if he's going to die, let us go with him and die too, right? I think it's so funny that we call him Doubting Thomas. How about we call him Death Wish Thomas, right, based off of this. The second time Thomas is mentioned is in John 14, 5, leading up to the Last Supper. Jesus mentions that he is going to prepare a place for them and that they were going to be with him. In response to that, in John 14, 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds to him a verse that many of us may or may not be familiar with, but it speaks volumes of who Jesus is. And he responds in the second part of verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
Now, what's so great about this interaction is that Thomas doesn't combat his answer in the least. He seems to be completely satisfied in knowing that Jesus truly is who he says that he is, and he is worth his devotion. Yet, we find him in this spot just six chapters later in this posture of doubt. We have to ask the question, how do we get from this loyal, willing to die for Jesus Thomas to this doubting faith attack Thomas? Well, the short answer is Thomas's world was rocked. You see, the promised Messiah who was going to overthrow the oppressors and, and bring an end to injustice was killed and laid in a tomb and with him laid all the hopes that Thomas had as well. You see, doubt happens for many reasons. It can come on quickly. It can come on slowly over time. It can be the result of personal choices you've made or relationships that you have. But one of the most common types of doubt and the type we see here with Thomas is a doubt that's forged through sorrow. Maybe your doubt has come from something sorrowful as well. Your marriage has fallen apart. That loved one was taken away tragically. After all the treatments and doctor visits, you are still unable to have children. And you cry out to God, why me? Only to be met with silence. Where has doubt come in and completely rocked your world? Thomas was loyal. Thomas was, was devoted. Thomas walked with Jesus for three years, hearing him teach, seeing him heal, and, and witness things beyond comprehension. And he still doubted that he was alive. Guys, if it happened to him, why do we think it couldn't happen to us? See, my moments of doubt always come when I look at my life and I think, why haven't I progressed more in my Christian walk? Why do I get so angry over little things and why do I get so angry so quickly? Why do I still play this comparison game over and over and over again with other people? You see, I think often in our lives we want to have everything figured out and when we begin to doubt, it shakes us to the core. We feel guilty, we feel ashamed that we question the things of God. But can I encourage you with something today? If you doubt the things of God, you are in the company of many of the people of God who we talk about often who did the very same thing. C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, we have written testimony that they all wrestled with doubt in their lives. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, who our pastor quotes quite often, struggled with depression and he wrote this, for more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members, Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. See, these men and women look to the, that we look to aspire to, but they, like Thomas, had their doubts. You need more proof of the heroes who doubted? Look no further than Scripture. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness in the garden. And from there, doubt just creeps in into every corner of our lives. The Psalms, though filled with praises, are also filled with doubt. The book of Job is one huge story of questioning God. There's a book of lament called Lamentations. The prophets had their doubts. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, in which we are studying this year, says in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? And we love that verse. We quote that verse often, but we often look right past verse 36 that says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Guys, this is a direct quote from Psalm 44, where the author is talking to God and saying, God, this is your fault that I'm in this mess. You are the one doing this to me. Seriously, go, go read that psalm for yourself. It's, it's brutally honest. 
It's the sort of thing that if you heard another person in your small group saying stuff like that, you'd be like, whoa, 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 bro. That's, that's super disrespectful. You can't talk about God like that. But there it is, right in Scripture. And I believe that it's in Scripture because God knew that we'd come to moments when we wanted to say to him, what are you even doing, God? Why are you asleep at the wheel? Following you just doesn't seem to be worth it. Listen, it was okay for the psalmist to be that honest with God, and it's okay for you to be that honest with God as well. Something to remember in your season of doubt. Your doubt does not disqualify you from being used by God. Listen, I have to preach that to myself often. So if nobody else heard that today, that one's just for me and praise God for it. Which leads me to my second observation from this text. We must be honest about our doubts. Look again at verse 25. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This entire interaction is simply amazing to me. You have all the disciples there, these guys who were all in the same boat as Thomas. They were sad, they were defeated, they felt alone, but they see Jesus and they're beside themselves, right? Then Thomas comes back and we don't know where he went or what he was doing, but Thomas comes back to the room and what happens? They tell him, Thomas, you should have been at small group, bro. <laughs> we saw Jesus. Jesus came and it was great. He, he spoke to us and, and commissioned us in the same way that the Father commissioned him. And it was amazing. And what's Thomas's posture? Man, you boys been in this room too long. <laughs> you, you need to go for a walk. He is dead. You saw what happened to him in the same way that I did. And you don't simply just come back from a death that he died. Stop playing around. Guys, Jesus was tortured and beaten and he died on the cross and all of the disciples were witnesses to that. But on the flip side of that, all of the same disciples were witnesses to a resurrected Jesus as well. All but Thomas. And they wouldn't let it go. In fact, the word told in the Greek meant that they kept on telling him over and over and over again that Jesus was alive until he finally said, stop it. I will not believe you unless I see him for myself. Not only will I have to see him, I have to touch him as well. Other than that, you boys can miss me with all that noise. And here's what's so fascinating about this exchange. Thomas is the one guy in the entire room that voices his doubts. He in that moment should have believed them, right? He, he knew them, he, he walked with them for, for several years. He, he knew these boys. But he voices his doubts anyway. Here's another idea for us, how instead of, instead of calling Thomas Doubting Thomas, we call him Honest Thomas, right? My goal this weekend is to get one of those names to stick, all right? But in all seriousness, Thomas was honest about how he felt. Can I ask you a question? Are you? You see, I think it's easy for us to go through the motions of church. We come here on the weekend, we sing some good songs that lift us up and fill us up emotionally. We hear the teaching of, of God's word, right? And we're, we're thankful for it. But if we're honest with ourselves and we look down deep inside, we know that we're going through the motions. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid of what people would truly think of us if they knew. Can I be honest with you? 
That's, that's me too. Now, sometimes I, I sit and I wonder if people knew some of the internal battles that I have from time to time, if they would still call me their pastor. Is that you? If that is you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to start a conversation with, I need to tell you something. And from there, you had to experience someone seeing the worst in you in some small way. And then still choosing to stay with you anyway. Have you ever slipped up and let your mess show totally by accident, right, and had someone else love you anyway? And I'm not saying it happens all the time. Right? I, I don't let everyone in, but if you've felt that, even if it was just a glimpse, how did that feel? I bet you were terrified, right? But then on the flip side, I bet you were also surprised and relieved that someone actually saw who you were and accepted you still. Guys, I'm here to tell you today, that's how Jesus operates with us. See, every single time we come to him and say, Jesus, I need to tell you something. He responds with, I already know. And it's been forgiven. That's good news for a troubled heart today. Listen. I'm prone to hiding as any of you. But those few times in my life when I've been able to put the pretending and the performing aside, they have been the most liberating moments of my life. I'm, I'm thankful for my small group. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters that I can be real and vulnerable with. But the reality is a lot of times it's hard. But on the flip side of it, it's needed. And I am praying and begging and asking God that our church would be a church where it'd be okay to not be okay. Because we need to be real. We need to be honest. But it only happens when we're honest. See, if these doubts are present in your mind, we need to be honest. We need to voice them because when we do that, that is when Jesus can begin to do his work. Thomas says, in all honesty, I will never believe. He is being honest about where he is and who can fault him. Thomas wanted the same exact things that all the other disciples got. He, he wanted to see a, a risen Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. Guys, hear me say this. Your honest doubts shouldn't hinder your pursuit of Jesus. It should strengthen it. Let me, got, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you all remember the first time you ever flew in an airplane? Raise your hand. If you remember your very first time flying in an airplane, all right? Keep your hand up if you were scared when you flew in that airplane. Okay. Rick, keep your hand up if you were still scared when you fly in an airplane. All right. We got some honesty in here today. Let's go. All right. Let me tell you the first time I flew in an airplane. I was coming from, from Syracuse, New York to, to Queens, New York to, to see my mom. Right. And when I was walking up to the plane, I was, you know, I was pumped. I had the, the game face on. But then when I started to walk in, I started to get the nervous guts. You know what I'm talking about, right? I was, I was nervous about it because I started having all these questions about how in the world can they get this big old metal contraption in the air suspended for so long, right? What about these pilots? How long they've been flying? I don't know them. They don't know me. Maybe they got something against me, right? But what about gas? We got to stop and get gas, right? What does that look like? And I remember there was a scripture that says something along the lines when Jesus said, low, I'll be with you, not high. So I had all these different things. I was like, what is going on? But here's the thing. Once I flew and landed, obviously I'm still here. The more I flew, the more comfortable I got, right? I was able to, to step into any plane and be like, man, it's going to take me to where I need to be. Guys, that is what it looks like when we begin to dig in on God. 
where we entrust our life to who God is and what he does. You see, the more steps I take in trusting Jesus, the more my faith finds its foothold. God, I don't know what you're, what you're doing here, but I'm going to step and I'm going to move forward in faith anyway. God, you provided for me the last time. I wasn't so sure about it, but you did it last time. That means you're going to have to do it again. God, it, it was, there was something happening back here at, at that particular moment, but you showed yourself to be faithful here, so that means you're going to be faithful there as well. And before you know it, as you're taking these steps forward, what happens is you look back and you're like, my goodness, I've, I've progressed so much more in my walk. I've seen God be so faithful than, than what he was back then. We see all these different things propel us forward. And it shows us that anything worth believing in is worth questioning. You see, Pastor J.D. often says that deep questions lead to deep faith. In your honest pursuit, be open to seeing who, what God will do to you. And this is what I mean by that. When you doubt the promises of God, the reality is that these promises are still very much true, even if you aren't sure about them. You see, God's word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that his promises are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you need to do in your pursuit is begin to dig in on why you have a hard time taking him at his word. You see, when you doubt that God is a God of love who truly does love you and he cares for all of creation, you are viewing God from your perspective. And when you view God from your perspective, that's not God, that's a God that you have formed to fit your idea of who God should be. You see, as, as soon as you begin to be honest about what you are doubting, you need to then be honest about your view of God. And for Thomas at this particular moment, Jesus was not God enough to be alive. Question for you to truly ponder, when you doubt God, what does that say about your view of him? How does it cause you to, to live your life? Are you, are you skeptical that he is not really there? Are you angry because he's allowed certain things to happen? Are you, are you scared because of what has happened in the past and it's keeping you from moving forward? Are you fearful? What is it? Be honest about where you are. But can I encourage you with something? In your honesty about where you are, Jesus knows. He is fully aware of your doubts. I've heard it said this way, again, that it's, not, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And this narrative speaks to that, which leads me to our final observation today, that Jesus wants to turn doubters into disciples. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas is sitting in his doubts for a full week before his problems get resolved. And I know for many of you, you've been sitting in your doubts longer than a week. But I hope that this little section here will give you some encouragement and some comfort in the midst of it. We find these guys in the same room, still locked up, and in comes Jesus. And what does he say? He greets them with peace. And what's so significant about this greeting is that he used it already, not once, but twice, when he came to the disciples the first time in verse 19. 
You see, when Jesus is using this phrase, it could be easy for us to simply look past it as a regular greeting from from one Jew to another. Shalom. Shalom to you, brother. Right? It'd be like me walking up and saying, what's up? What's good? And keep it going. Right? That's not what's happening here. R.C. Sproul points out that this greeting of peace is reminiscent of the words spoken by Jesus to his disciples in the upper room on the night before he died. You see, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, when Jesus greets them with peace, he is reminding them that in this moment, I did what I said I was going to do, give you peace, leave you with peace. And he won that peace on the cross. You see, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of doubts, Jesus always comes bringing peace. And what does he do next? He goes straight to the doubter and he looks at Thomas and he invites him to get his doubts resolved. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't chastise him in the least. He addresses his doubts head on and he doesn't dismiss them. It's as if he's saying, Thomas, your doubts, they're legit. They're very real, but I've got something more real for you. And here's what's so amazing about this interaction. The disciples didn't tell Jesus about Thomas's doubts. Jesus wasn't on the other side of the door eight days later or earlier, eavesdropping, right? I'm like, oh, that Thomas, <laughs> boy, I'm going to show him in eight days, right? No, he doesn't do that at all. Jesus didn't do that. He knew his heart and he responded. How? Again, by inviting him to get his doubts resolved. Thomas, this is what you were asking for, right? Come, look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my wounds for you. Stop disbelieving and believe. And what does Thomas do? He gives us the greatest confession of the deity of Jesus in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. Thomas lays out a confession that has to sit true for every one of us today. He confesses that Jesus is Yahweh, that he is God, that he is alive. And if he is alive, then we have to ask the question, what does that mean for us? Again, Jesus didn't need the disciples telling him that Thomas was doubting. Jesus knew the heart of Thomas without anyone having to tell him. You see, Jesus knows the hearts of men, which means at this very moment, he knows the doubts that you have as well. You see, when you are wrestling with your doubts, Jesus is looking at you the same way he looked at Thomas, and he says, I hear you. I I see you. I know what you're going through, but look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my wounds. And you may be saying, "But, but Jesus, are all the promises in Scripture for me? He is saying, look at my wounds. I died so that those promises would be for you. Some of you are saying, but Jesus, all this pain and hurt in the world, why aren't you doing anything? He is saying, look at my wounds. I died to make all things new. But Jesus, I'm too far gone. I know you may know those things about me, but can I truly be accepted? He said, look at my wounds. God loved you so much in the middle of your mess that he sent me for you. 
Some of you are saying, Jesus, my, my marriage is a mess. Some of you are saying, Jesus, I, I feel so alone. Some of you are saying, Jesus, you have no idea how bad I want a child. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, look at my wounds. I died so that you could say, just like that one man after my own heart, that even though you're walking through the shadows, that you have nothing to fear because you will never be alone. Guys, you need assurance? Look at his wounds. Why? Because his wounds tell the story of how he had you in mind when he went to the cross. You've got questions. You got concerns. Jesus did too when he went on the cross and he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? You see, he was forsaken so that we would not be. If he did that for us, then why would he not be able to handle our doubts? Guys, we have to be honest with them though. I love what John Stott says. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In this real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? God knows about it. God knows about it. I heard it said one time that the, the, the only imperfect body in heaven is going to be Jesus's. Because it's there that those wounds are going to be there. That the, his, his side is still going to be pierced. And he's looking, he's like, this is why you have an opportunity to worship. This is why you have an opportunity to have every tear wiped away. This is why you have an opportunity to live in full-on holiness because I've done this for you. Man, that's good. Here's the thing, if he did that for us, we still have to decide if we're going to trust him or not. You see, Thomas responded with full-on trust. He says, my Lord and my God. Church historians say that Thomas would go on to, uh, to be a, a missionary in India where he would die a martyr's death. See, his willingness to go and die for the cause of Christ communicates the seriousness of that confession of Jesus being his Lord and God. His life was completely altered for God's glory. Listen, when we see Jesus for who he is and his love for us, we will be altered. If you've never had a response to Jesus, then you've never met the real Jesus. This is what I mean by that. You will either fall to your face in worship or you turn your back in rejection. There is no in-between. Here's the thing, with the latter, your failure to believe carries with it its own penalty. But Jesus is looking at you and he says, stop unbelieving and believe. So maybe you're in here and you're tracking with me. You're saying, man, this sounds good in theory, but I'm not suffering in theory. My doubts aren't theory. I'm suffering and I'm doubting in real life. What am I supposed to do in the midst of my doubts today? Well, if that's you, here are three takeaways I want you to hear. Number one, you need to fight. You need to fight. This is what I mean by that. Thomas could have simply walked away completely, right? The other disciples repeated to him over and over and over again the fact that Jesus was alive, but he wouldn't believe it. Yet, he stayed around for eight days. Why? I believe there was something he was waiting for. I believe there was a, a, a glimmer of, of hope in his heart. You see, Jews believed in miracles, Year after year, they, they celebrated one of the greatest miracles in their history. God delivering the Israelites from Egypt. He, he did it miraculously through plagues, through uh, uh, dividing the, the Red Sea by providing manna and quail, right? 
So the Jewish tradition was based off of miracles. God, Thomas knew that God was a God of miracles. He was fighting to believe what the others were saying. And until that very moment when Jesus showed up, I can guarantee you that Thomas felt like he was losing that fight. Some of you feel that way as well. But let his story encourage you. He stayed engaged. What does it look like for you to fight in your eight-day wait? I think you need to be willing to not quit. Here's the thing. The church is messy because it's made up of messy people. But we need to be willing to not quit. So many things in the church has caused people to leave and that breaks my heart. But the reality is if you were on the cusp and you wanted to to quit and, and give up, please hear this. You cannot do this on your own. We need each other. We need Christian community. Because you see, it's in community where we get the chance to to open up the word of God, which include the testimony of those who have seen Jesus face to face. In community, you have brothers and sisters who should be walking with you in the midst of your doubts. One of the best examples I can think of this that illustrates is found in Exodus 17. As the people of Israel were fighting the Amalekites, God would give victory every time Moses had his, his hands up with the staff. But here's the thing, Moses is a weak man, just like many of us are. He didn't do shoulder day, right? And so his arms would drop. And every time his arms would drop, the, the battle would change. And the Malachites would begin to win. But then Moses had his brother Aaron who came alongside of him. He had his friend Hur that came up on the other side of him and they held his arms up and they were victorious in the battle. Guys, I cannot think of a better picture of fighting in Christian community. Some days we simply don't have it in us. We just don't. Our hope is tapped out. We can't sing songs about victory. If we hear one more person tell us that God is working all things out for good, we might chop them in the throat, right? But in those moments, we have a choice. We have to choose to either isolate ourselves or we can choose to put ourselves in the company of others and say, I can't even lift my arms right now. Would you lift them for me? Listen, success in doubting is continuing to engage in spite of your doubts. Overcoming our doubts doesn't mean we just choose joy and everything's going to be all right. It doesn't always mean victory. It's staying engaged with God. And oftentimes we need help in that. The second way that we do this is through surrender. Remember how Thomas said that unless he touched Jesus, he would never believe? I don't know if you caught it or not. But it never mentions Thomas touching Jesus at all. Jesus says, see my wounds, touch me. Thomas doesn't say, hmm, yes, it's squishy in there. Let's see. All right? No, he sees him and he surrenders. You see, many of us come with Jesus with our conditions. Jesus, if you do this, then I'll stop doing that. Jesus, if you help me, then I'll come to church more. Jesus, if you supply this job or the spouse or insert whatever the other thing, then I'll surrender to you. Guys, I'm here to tell you it does not work that way. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says that if you ever come to Jesus with conditions, these conditions are actually your Savior. And what happens in the long run is your Savior is going to let you down. He goes on to say that 
Your Savior will never die for you. In fact, you'll eventually have to die for it. Until we say that Jesus is our Lord and our God unconditionally, we are lost. We should never say, I'll surrender if. It should always be, I surrender because of everything that you've done for me. And that's more than enough to surrender my conditions. Let me suggest something to you. If you're having a hard time surrendering, the problem may not be that you haven't gotten your questions answered. It might just be that you haven't actually seen Jesus like Thomas did. I can assure you Thomas didn't get all of his questions answered. In, in fact, I, I love this picture. They see Jesus and they're still in the room hiding. Let that sink in. They didn't get all their questions answered. They, they weren't fully sure what the future may hold, but they saw Jesus and that was enough to that to make sense right now. His response was anyone who has power over death gets my allegiance. I don't know how this works. I'm still locked up in the room, but I'm with you. Which leads me to my final point. You need to rest. Guys, Jesus didn't come to Thomas and look at him and say, you big old dummy. How come you didn't listen to Peter and the boys? Why are you so, so hard-headed, right? Didn't do that at all. No, he, he looks at him, meets him in his doubts, in his demands, in his uncertainty. He meets him there. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He was faithful to death for you. He will remain faithful in your season of doubt. You see, we need to remember that his kindness and forbearance and patience leads to our repentance. Our repentance does not lead to his kindness and patience. It's already there for us, family. See, Thomas was probably floored that Jesus could verbalize what he said without him being in the room to hear it. Jesus knows our heart. And you may be thinking, well, I've got all these doubts. I got all these shortcomings. I got all this sin. I got all these family issues. I got all these problems. I got all this brokenness. I got all this everything. Is it too much for him? And Jesus hears you and he looks at you and he says, doubt it. He is inviting you to be with him, to touch him, to believe in him. You see, when we believe in him, that gives us peace. Our problems may not resolve themselves here and now. Think about it. Thomas had to wait eight days to have his questions answered. And even when they were answered, he was still locked up in a room. But many of us won't even get to day eight before God calls us home. You see, we all know of many beloved saints who struggled their entire lives and died on day seven. And the reality is some of us may very well be those same saints that don't even make it to day three. See, our story may not end in the same way. Does that mean that God isn't faithful? Does it mean that we didn't believe well enough? No, it means that this life is actually just the beginning. And ironically, that's encouraging to think about. Because what that means is however far I have to go in the Christian life, God will carry me. Even if I've only gotten 1% of the way there, by the time I die, God will still carry me. As John Newton wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace shall lead me home. 
Do you believe that? If not, I want to give you that opportunity. Some of you right now under the sound of my voice are in the fight of your lives. You wonder if God really does care. Your your doubts are crushing you. But as I mentioned already, you do not have to do this alone. As I said, what would the church look like if we began to be honest about where we are and had people walking with us? As a matter of fact, at all of our campuses, I want to call our prayer teams and our elders to take their place. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an action step today. Some of you guys are wrestling. You're hurting. You're, you're struggling. You're in the midst of doubts. And God is saying, yep, I know. I know. But I want you to fight. I want you to surrender those things to me. And when you do, I want you to rest. And some of you guys need to have someone shoulder that load with you. And so I'm going to pray for us. And after I'm done, I'm going to stand some of you guys up. And here's the thing. Some of you guys are going to worship. You're going to worship because God has delivered. God has rescued. God has delivered in the midst of your doubts. And so you're going to sing praises to our God. But some of you all, you need to sit in your seat and have the permission to stay there, not be ashamed, and get your doubts taken care of, meeting God there. There's a third group though, you need to come forward. You need to have someone talk with you in the midst of your doubts. Not only talk, but pray with you in the midst of your doubts. Here's the thing, you're, you're gonna be tempted to want, to want to stay here or stay there in that seat. And, and you're gonna be wrestling, like, ah, should I go up there, I, I don't know. Here's the thing, when you're wrestling in that, chances are you probably need to come. And, and here's the thing, <laughs> when you take that step, right, the enemy I know is gonna wanna say, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. But I want you to, to, to figuratively, figuratively think about it in this way. When you take that step, you're like, it's as, as if you're stepping on his throat. <laughs> you're taking that first step, you say, you shut your mouth. I've got these doubts that I've got to get taken care of. So I'm going to pray. And as our prayer teams come, I want you to do, take care of that right here, right now. Father, we need you. We so desperately need you. God, I pray that we would be an honest people, that we would see you for who you are, that you would speak to us in the midst of our doubts. And God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be reminded that you are empowering us to, to fight You're empowering us to surrender. (laughs) And believe it or not, you have to give us the power to rest. Because we we don't do it well. God, I pray that we would hear that still voice and say, are you God enough? Can you handle this stuff? I'm not sure if you can. Let them hear you say, hmm, I doubt it. I can take that. Trust me with it. Let us do that. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Summit family, at all of our campuses, stand to your feet. You deal with God. You worship. You come. Let's go.